Welcome to the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. Joining us now from NOLA is our good friend, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, Gus Cattingale. Gus, good morning. How's the boy doing? I hear him there in the background. I think he called me stinky. Yeah. No, no, it's 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 funny when you're that age. It's good. <laughs> well, uh, let's let's hit on something they're talking about in the uh, world of football before I have some Pell stuff for you. Uh, this Deshaun Watson situation is is so unique because the you know I was just going through all the times in history that a player in the NFL was traded for multiple first round draft picks, and I think I came up with like a dozen times. And honestly. You you have trouble making an argument that that any of them worked out great for the team that gave up what they gave up. Um, there's a few where you could say, all right, maybe, but none where you're like, okay, this this definitely worth it. Now, the flip side of that is this is a seismic move because you never see an elite level quarterback entering the prime of their career make a push to switch teams. The closest it came was. Probably 08 when Jay Cutler did it. Now, folks are laughing at that when I say it. I'm just saying, look, Cutler did not continue on the trajectory that some thought he was going to. Because in 08 in Denver, a lot felt like, man, this guy's got a cannon. He's only 25. You know, yeah, he whines a little bit, but I think he can be really good. Um, And yet no one thought he was as good, I would say, as Deshaun Watson is now. So uh, all of these dominoes, I mean, there there could be up to 20 – teams in the NFL with a new starting quarterback week one in 2021. That's a lot. And Deshaun Watson, I think of all these offseason moves, I get it's not the offseason yet. I know the Super Bowl's in nine days, but of all these offseason moves in what's going to be probably a wild NFL offseason, the first huge domino to drop, I think has got to be Deshaun Watson. Do you feel like it's done? He's out, he's gone. And if so, how much is a team going to give up for this guy? the sort of watch, right? The the step by step and really how it all went down. Um so yesterday I had um Clint Sterner on, former, you know, Arkansas boy quarterback. And he um he also hosts the show Sports Radio six ten over in Houston afternoons, four hours. And I just I'm like, dude, I started with how do we get to this point? Because um you know, he and I, obviously, on Saturdays during the fall, we always hear his thoughts on quarterbacks, you know, the SEC, things of that nature. And and we always would talk on Saturdays about how's Bill O'Brien saw the job, you know, what's going on in Houston. And, Scott, I guess what I'm trying to get to is this didn't just happen overnight. And one of the questions I, I started off with, how do we get here? And the second question was, tell people what I think a lot of people maybe kind of want to know. Um is this sort of like a you know a malcontent NBA sort of you know move where a player doesn't want to be there? Are we feeling like it's going to feel like it's the NBA where players are taking more power outside of that league here as well? Um, so we kind of went through a, a, a litany of things, but I think the thing the reason I'm bringing up the interview that stood out to me is he called him a Drew Brees. He he called him 
a Tom Brady, an elite quarterback that will win you a Super Bowl and has done everything he possibly to um, play and, and win and be there for that franchise. And that eventually at this point, there was just so many things that um, he just doesn't feel comfortable there to, to an extent. But it, it's crazy because I've been using the analogy, I don't know if it's fair or not, Scott, but we just sort of went through it to an extent as a fan base, as a city with Anthony Davis, right? Where how you just started the segment, you're not realistically going to get, are you, the value in return? I mean, you can ask for it, you can hope for it, you can want it, but literally what's been a topic this week, um, trading Lonzo Ball, you know, Josh Hart's too many minutes at 25. You got one player, Brandon Ingram, you're, you're hoping that, you know, Carver or some of your kids are probably still not driving by the time the draft picks that the Lakers have matter. I mean, because it's, it's going to be a while, right, before those draft picks even make sense. So, um, yeah, right. And, oh, by the way, what did L.A. do? They, they won a championship last year. So I think if you're Houston, you're going to see Deshaun Watson have an immediate impact on whatever team he goes, and you're going to – have to build and, and struggle for a bit. But, um, and, and it's sort of like this where, you know, again, I trust his opinion and he just destroyed the organization there, you know, Mickey Mouse, they there run terrible, you name it. And, and, and that's what Adam Schefter has been saying, right? You've played the sound bites this week. And so least desirable head coaching job, but somebody eventually did take it, but nobody really wanted to go coach there. Um, not only because your star player wants to leave, but also because of how that organization has been run and what have you. So it's just it's incredible to me um, when, when you see this entire storyline play out. No one's picking up the phone. No one's communicating. The owner comes out after the season ends and says, yeah, I've been connecting with them via text. And you're sitting there going, my goodness. I mean, I, you know, it's like somebody that's been playing. Hey, Scott. I, I don't know if it's the right analogy, but I do a lot of times in something like this use an analogy of a relationship and a marriage. Um, it doesn't always work. It's not always perfect, but um, I could not imagine my wife and I having an issue and I just text her, you know, hey, you're good? You let me, you know what I'm saying? Scott, I mean, I'm sure you walk in at home and uh, you're, you're, you're made aware of things that aren't being, um, that aren't going well. And, and then you work on that, you know, but I, I couldn't imagine you know, literally feeling that you're working on this by, by texting somebody, you know, reaching out via phone like that. So, um, but it's a big piece. And I think the, the other element of it that I've talked about this week too, is it's not just him, man. You're, uh, you're looking at, I don't know, just as Adam Schefter says, 10 teams that likely will have, uh, quarterbacks next season that you think are coming back. I've never seen anything like this. I have absolutely used the analogy of this feels like an NBA offseason to me this offseason in the NFL when it comes to the quarterback position. You've got teams like the Rams where you know, t- two seasons ago um, the guy was in a Super Bowl and now they're ready to move on. I mean, um, and he's got a lot of money left on that deal, Gus. It's not like it's like, oh, should we sign him as a free agent? I mean, he's under contract. That's the and point he's, that I was about to get he's into. He's not even Scott. bad. I mean, I get that. Garoppolo, <laughs> Watson. I mean, we're talking about there's five or six quarterbacks that have 
$7,200 million guaranteed that are going to be either moving on or teams want to move on from. Crazy. Like, that's absurd. Like, think about that. Um, what is Baltimore going to do? I mean, they kind of look like they want to sign that extension, but um, I heard somebody yesterday say, hey, Adam Schefter, I played the bite. He goes, what if Baltimore says, hey, I'll trade you Lamar for Deshaun? I'm like, Lamar just won the MVP. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, it's, you literally have teams that have had some Teddy Bridgewater. People, you know, the report came out yesterday. The Panthers are a team that's going to go heavily after Deshaun Watson. They just signed Teddy to a three-year contract. So I, it's, I've never seen anything like this. So, um, I, I, hope, I hope Watson so, is in Carolina. Okay. I'd rather him not be in the NFC South, man. Right. Um, and, uh, and you wonder, Scott, I'll ask you that quickly. If, if that happens, if that happens, do you think the Saints can really have to make a, a, a move or a decision if they think that Watson goes there? Because, look, you look at the rest of the South, Matt Ryan's a $40 million cap hit. Um, new management, new coaching, new everything there. I mean, honestly, I'm Atlanta. Peace out, Matt. Trading Julio, starting completely yeah. over with picks. And I all doubt that they're going right? to do it. I, but, I won't rule it out, but I doubt they're going to do that. It's Atlanta. Right. But what I'm saying is you could possibly have three teams in the division kind of resetting at the quarterback position. Tom's eventually going to retire, you would think. Um, the NFC South, I mean, so I, saw, I kept saying, like, you know, with the Saints, it's like you're, you're, you're kind of trying to get ahead of the game, too, because Carolina started last year, knew everything, but you still have your coach and some players. So uh, it's not as dire as it sort of looks like uh, with the Saints bowing out this past year. ESPN 1420.com. It's, it's, it's wild, man. I think the Watson thing, how much is too much? Do you, do you go three first-rounders? Yeah. Do you go four? I mean, there's historically it has not worked out well. For teams that gave up two first rounders, but historically you haven't had a quarterback this young, this good at a time in the NFL where you don't have like some of your elite guys. They've they've moved on, they've retired, they've they've gone to you know live on the farm, whatever you want to call it. You are seeing a transition now where the younger elite guys are. You feel like they're going to kind of be the league here for the next decade plus. You can get one of them who currently is the all-time NFL leader in completion percentage. He's actually higher than Drew Brees as of today. That's not going to probably happen again where you have a chance to get one via trade, and yet the value of those rookie deals, first-round picks, I I just I don't know at, at what point. If you desperately need one, how much do you give up? Because you don't want to get him and then not be able to really build around him. So how much is too much for a, a – a guy like a Deshaun Watson. I mean, that's that's the question, and it, and and then I guess when you ask that question, um, I'll ask you rhetorically towards you. When you have a player, I mean, what, what is the most important position? It's quarterback, and if you don't have one, you're uh, you're in deep doo doo, you know. Um, and, and the reason I bring that's because um, I on Monday, I I asked you know our audience and said, look, what is the one big takeaway? You came out of the AFC and NFC championship games. And, um, to me, Scott, I just think unequivocally, I mean, it, it stares at you. That is, you better have a quarterback that makes plays. Um, it, it's nuts because it's two completely contrasting dynamics in that you look at the AFC, you have these two young quarterbacks. And, dude, I can not be a Buffalo fan and be like, 
That's just, that's just awesome. You know, we're coming back. I mean, Josh Allen can make some throws, dude. We saw his speed, six ten plays. He's not a running quarterback per se, but he can to extend plays. And that's what I mean by playmaking. Um, it's not Lamar Jackson in terms of that they build the run game around the guy, but you saw him scramble. You saw him extend plays. You saw him avoid pressure and rush to left or right, back up a few yards and fire a ball, man, 40, 50 yards. You see, I mean, Mahomes is Mahomes, right? Um, and that's my whole point with all this, Scott, is that those two guys ain't going anywhere in the AFC. We saw Herbert in person when he played the Saints this week. Um, and, and then you have these two old guys that still got it. Dude. I mean, Drew Brees, when, when, when you compare, I guess is what I'm getting at, and it, it's not disrespectful, but, you know, you've seen Michael Thomas's tweet this week, and, um, and your eyeballs saw it. You know, I, it's, it's a simple litmus test. Did you see that passing game that you saw in the championship game in the Dome two weeks ago? And you just didn't. So – you, you have to have that. You have to have, as Mike Thomas says, when teams know you can't throw the ball further than 20 yards, they, they defend you differently. And, and that's true. And, I mean, that's what you would do. You would fire a defensive coordinator if you're playing deep, which is why I don't know if it was a respect thing, if it was, you know, just fibbing Pinocchio style. But I have a hard time believing, like Peyton and the team said earlier in the season, that they were playing too deep and playing for the deep ball. And I'm like, what game are you all watching? So, Maybe they did it out of respect at first until they realized he just can't do it. But, you know, again, this isn't about Drew. This is about the Saints I still think can be a playoff team and a contending team. And it's crazy when you say this. They're a quarterback away. you got to have a guy eight plays. And um, so how much is too much? I think if you're, the, if you're the Jets, which, again, I'm surprised the Dolphins are in it. They just drafted Tua. Um, but he would be involved in a trade a back to Houston. That would be quite a cuck if yeah. they were like, hey, we'll give you these first-rounders back that you gave us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, right. Know, the quarterback, yeah. It, it, it's it's, it's going to be wild, man. It's going to be wild. And that's what I mean, Scott. It's just, it's just going to be crazy because I, I think when you look at the cap, you look at the salary uh, cap, you look at the other pieces that are just as important to keep you um, – I think you start with, the, with, with this very simple series of questions. Who do you have to have on the field for you to be a playoff team on your roster? Okay, write that down on a, on a, on a sheet of paper, draw a circle around them. Then underneath their names, you know, is it a cap issue? Is it not? You know, what, what, what are they costing you to keep them? Because the Saints have always, and the Hewlett reiterated today, they've always been about keeping them, their players first. Sean Payton said it. You've heard from both men now in the last two weeks. And both came out and said, it's about keeping our best players first, then filling through free agency, and then acquiring the best talent available in the draft. That's their philosophy. I think you alter that a bit this year in the draft and that you go get the best that you need and fit that, the needs that you sort of have. But, you know, that's their philosophy. So on your roster, who do you have to keep? And who are the untouchables? Because if it's Matt Stafford, if it's Watson, you're going to have to trade probably either players or players that cost too much on your cap to get rid of cap space to be able to do so. And Scott, when we did this exercise for two days, I, I was, I was shocked. People just came up with just Ram check. I at least said Ram check and Camara, but you and I talked about this throughout the season and after the season, Michael Thomas is on the table. Um, 
you know, things of that nature. I, def- I think you have to keep Marshawn Lattimore. It's tough to get quarters. Jenkins comes back next year. That's just two starting quarters. You know how I feel about, you know, Williams as a safety. Uh, I can go draft one. Uh, I know they're looking at So I, but I came up with like three or four, you know, it's crazy when you think about it, but you know, Pete, Hey, anybody want Pete? I mean, <laughs> Cause that's a big cap. So it, you have to sort of look at it like that. If you're even remotely make a phone call for a Watson, a Stafford, or things of that nature. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. Gus Catengale, our guest. Yeah, more than just draft picks. I don't think I, I less than one percent as far as Watson to the Saints in my mind. I'd put Stafford at about I don't know ten percent as starting quarterback next year for the Saints. I'd put I'd put Winston at forty, Hill at forty, ten percent Stafford, nine percent someone else. The field maybe one percent or less than one percent Watson, but. Um, it's it's going to be a wild off season. Still got the Super Bowl a week from Sunday. We'll talk about that game next week. Gus Cattengale, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty. Gus, we've uh, got the Pelicans in action tonight against the Bucks. Drew Holiday be back in New Orleans playing for the other team. The uh, the Pels, there's this balance between um, trying to win and yet trying to grow young talent and. Uh, some would say it's a delicate balance. I think it's pretty – I mean, I think based on where this franchise is, it's pretty cut and dry. I mean, Jackson Hayes defensively is is just – he just doesn't know where to be on, on the floor, most times on the floor. Um, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was pointing out in the game against Utah last week, like I think I, I heard him say on the broadcast, dude, where the hell are you? Um, you know – the, the opponents are scoring 121 points per 100 possessions, and Hayes are on the floor together. Reddick isn't making shots right now like he normally does. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, the, the 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 worst moment was against Minnesota last Saturday, only because just the effort wasn't there, and yet was the last day of a road trip. And I I may have overreacted a little bit, but I don't I don't really regret it. I think this team is going to be better in March than they are now. Also, I think they should be a little better than they are right now. You know, they beat the worst team in the league Wednesday. Cool. Um, Lonzo Ball in the trading block. Makes sense, I guess. J.J. Redick. Where, where are you at with this franchise when it comes to, okay, you want to win games, you want to compete now, you want to possibly be in the playoffs. Remember, 10 teams get a chance this year. And yet you also got to play these young guys that have holes in their game, but the only way they're going to get better is, is if you actually put them on the floor, and this still is a two, three-year plan. It's not, you know, I know that David Griffin a little over a year ago in the opening pressers said, and we were both there, he said, you know, we plan on, you know, bleep, you know, kicking people's bleeps, and, and that's our, you know, but at the same time, you know, we want to, we want to, you know, look to the future, and it's, it's hard to do both, Gus. It's hard to do both, and that's what the Pels are trying to do right now, and a lot of times it, it leads to frustrating results. It does. And, you know, you look at it and your first initial reaction is, you know, you pull up the standings and Scott, oh, my goodness gracious, they're second to last. Um, and, look, they haven't played well at times. And, and look, I'm, I'm one of those people that, look, I, I look at it for what it is, and, and then you accept it to an extent, and then um, – you know, see what you got and, and, and look at it realistically. So here's the thing that's funny, right? So 
Portland is the eighth seed right now. Four and a half back of Utah, which, by the way, the Lakers lost to Detroit, and I'll get to that in a second. So they're four and a half back. The Pels are seven. It's three and a half games. Um, and you've blown, I don't know, Scott, what, four or five games that you could have won, you should have won, led, didn't, failed to, um, haven't had any kind of guard or point guard play consistently, have a player in Zion who I think in the last week and a half, in at least three games, you have seen tremendous growth. I'm talking like he, he removed Zion of – I'm not even looking at the point total. I'm not looking at how he's – it's head down, straight to the basket, the aggressiveness. Um, you're seeing some improvement on the defensive end. And more importantly, how he speaks after these games, whether it's, look, there's some people on this team that have to give it their all the time and stuff of that nature. He's starting to be more vocal, more leadership. I like his approach, though. I like how he says it. Um, Brandon Ingram, same thing. Started out hot. I think teams have adjusted to that. I know around here was a discussion of he kind of goes away. Look, you're, you're hearing it on the broadcast, whether it's Daniels or – you know, J.D. and Todd about how um, he's working so hard for his shots because, again, when your point guard's not playing really good point guard, you, you tend to, you know, he's having to bring the ball up the court, he's having to dribble, he's doing isos, doing all those things. And again, that's why we, we talked about this last Friday. What a point guard does to me is initiate pace, space, tempo, understanding the other team has a run, you know, they will slow it down and make sure that um, they can get, you know, a good shot off. Just there's so many things that a point guard can, can do. And you saw in this last game, and I get it, it was the Wizards, but you saw in the first quarter when Lonzo Ball was aggressive, when he went to the rim, he had zero turnovers in 16 minutes, what was a nine points and a couple of assists. And it was because of that. So that's why I've been screaming for two weeks, just run with Nal and Kyra with Ingram, Adams, and, 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 and Zion. I mean, Stephen Adams had 18 boards. Again, I know it's Washington. I get it. But Stephen Adams has been uh, an incredible player for this team in, in the 16 games that have happened. So when I look at the totality of everything and, and how I should be feeling um, right now, I look at it from a couple perspectives of, look, as bad as it sort of feels at times, you're still within, I mean, you're three and a half in the eight. I mean, you, you know, and you said 10 are going to be playing in there. Um, there's already talk, and Griffin said it in Pelicans Weekly yesterday, that, um, you know, when you don't meet expectation levels, other teams are going to come calling for players. I think it's almost like, and you mentioned his name, Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday situation to an extent, it's not the same but I think it's probably best for both parties for, you know, Lonzo and JJ to go separate ways and, and they can go help other teams fit in different systems, do different things. I think what's important for the Pelicans and what you have to look at is one of my main things this week is how long is, is now, is it reasonable for you to try to, to just even build, I mean, um, anything and, and try to win. And what's the realistic expectation level now? Cause I feel like from fan bases to management, to schools, it, it hey, we just changed coach. We better win a championship. I mean, it, this isn't, and I get what Philly's doing, but 
Doc Rivers is a very good coach. The Pelicans called on him. And also, the Sixers are a playoff team. I mean, they've been a good team. Their beef over there in their process have been that they hadn't taken that next step. But the Pelicans are literally starting from ground zero in this new era when you look at the timeline of where this franchise is moving and going to. And what's remarkable to me, Scott, and I know this is kind of a long-winded answer, is just the phone calls that I've gotten, the coverage that I've seen from our, our local guys that, uh, on Zion or even nationally. I got a phone call yesterday that says, you know, I don't see a ceiling. Can you win a championship with Zion? Before I could even answer and give facts, and especially the guy said he's just not going to be anything but Charles Barkley, who, by the way, was a Hall of Famer and won the MVP. That would be and pretty great. That, That'd right? be you pretty great that. if, if <laughs> a guy at 20 can, can have a ceiling of an all-time grade. That wouldn't be bad. <laughs> no, but he, but he was angry. He was like, he's, he's, not, he's not somebody, you know, he wanted to trade everybody. And I'm like, he wanted to keep everybody but Ingram. I mean, I'll trade everybody but Ingram. I'm like, okay, breathe. He wanted to because trade Zion Williamson? Yeah, and, and this is what I'm trying to get at. And this is what this, I'm, I'm doing this homework assignment this weekend, so I, I can report it to you next week. Feel free. Please, you do it as well. Because um, I want to talk about this next week. So he's played, he's been in 35 games. Been in. He played 19, right? I mean, I'm not even counting the ball. I mean, he's 19 and then 16 this regular season. Regular season games. You can count the bubble and all this stuff. I think it was 19 games he played in last year. So he hadn't even played a, a half of a full NBA season, really, when you look at it. And I, I, I don't know how you can't see that and go, this guy's feeling is going to be pretty good. And I, I think he's pretty good because it's a guy that can step on the courts and it's 20 to 30 points. He hasn't developed his shot yet. He hasn't developed um, the ability to use double, you know, two hands. He actually hasn't, and because he's still learning how to play defense at this level, at that position. Remember, in, in at Duke, he was one of the bigger players on the court, so he went out there covering wings or covering threes and things of that nature. You see him go out there, help out, shot block a three-point shot, but he wasn't covering Brandon Ingram's or, or, you know, players like that that did that. But again, I just want people to keep that number in their head. 35. 35. Because think- my homework assignment for myself, Scott, is this. I want people to compare Anthony Davis. And it's not because of who he was or what he did. and all that. I, I'm, Whether you like what he did or not, Anthony Davis is one of the best players in the NBA. Period. Anthony Davis is... Growth from his first year to now has been remarkable. I mean, if you pull up Anthony Davis's first year, a photo of his draft day, well, his Hornets season with the Hornets. I mean, right, Scott? Oh my goodness! Um, he's three times the size now. His games remarkably different. I mean, go back to the season that they one of the first seasons that he had one of the two that he was in the playoffs when he hit that top of the corner, uh, top of the key three at OKC, like mm-hmm. that was his what first or second three pointer of the year. Now the guy is a three point shooter to go with his baseline jumper, to go with his paint game, to go with his shot blocking defense. I mean, but he's in the seventh or eighth season. I mean, I'm trying to get people to understand every year he developed a different aspect to his game. Zion has played in 35 games. 
Offensively, too, he's putting up numbers that no one has put up. No, that quickly. Right. Now, in nineteen games last I, year, I, he was like with Shaq. It, look, it's it's fair, <laughs> it's fair to say that in Andrew Lopez was on earlier this week, ESPN, you know, NBA slash Pelicans reporter. He was he and I were chatting. You know, we gave we gave Zion's offense to this point in his career a letter grade of A. We gave his defense an F, but we also yeah. did it with by pointing out what you said. He's played thirty at that point. We we said he's played thirty four games. You know, like. It, it, you you can I can be critical of the effort last Saturday and call everybody out because mm-hmm. it, it was it was deserved. I mean that was that was atrocious. Um, I can also point out you know transition this team where they are currently the problems on the roster, but also that they're not in year five of this revamp. You know they're in the early stages of it. So I, I, it's 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 again original point. You want to try to win while also building to the future and not going, okay, we're just going to go all rebuild here. And that's that's the plan that David Griffin had when they came in. And that is easier said than done. It's really hard. Now, the Pelicans are in a better position than some other teams in terms of roster, and they also have some guys that just don't fit. And, and Lonzo Ball, he's regressed since last year when his three-point shot isn't falling he doesn't drive to the basket. Good in transition. I think his defense is above average, slightly overrated, probably around the league in my opinion. Not bad, right? Above average, but not elite. Um, and he's in the last year of his deal, and reportedly he's out there on the on the trade market. Is there any situation where Alonzo Ball is on this team post-trade deadline, or is this all but a done deal, guys? I, I, I don't think so, Scott. And, and again, and you know, as you were saying that too, like the, the way I was – looking at it, even describing it as like this. Um, it just doesn't fit the system, I think, that, that sort of you, you sort of need here. I, I want to say you even brought it up when we talked back in the day when they were looking at um, bringing in Stan Van Gundy. And we talked about Jameer Nelson and his growth as a point guard, but really what he became. And what this team needs and what you saw um, and see that, that can work uh, – Look, shots are going to be open. When you dominate the paint the way the Pels are right now and can, um, it should be a situation where you have a lot of open looks at three. So you got to go find the shooter. Like, you know, it's funny. We were discussing what do you get from him, and you need the trade value, and you need that he plays well. Dude, can can, can you give me a three-point shooter? I don't care. Does somebody – that you get in return, create a shot because it's again. Uh, Gus, you there? I think we lost you. Shoot. Up and down, oh, running freely. You know, what did Gentry say? You turn the ball over, you turn the ball over. You don't want to, but he won a number of shots that he wanted this team to hit. So he didn't care if it was a good look, bad look, or whatever. A lot of times, just get up there and shoot it. Um, but when you have two guys that can score, and that's why I went back to what I said earlier, your point guard needs to facilitate, needs to create space, understand spacing, and, and, and defend. Look, if he didn't do the shooting and creating and the spacing and all that, but could defend, great. Look, he did a great job on Bradley Beal. I mean, we, Scott, we saw we, we, years. That was through Holiday. Okay, fine. Look, he... You know, occasionally you'll get some points, but he locks down opposing team defenders. So 
you you lived with it you you liked it you could build around it so that's why i look at it from that perspective and again i just think when you have that and more importantly you drafted a point guard and you have another guy in the kill alexander walker who can play the point or the two and all of those things you got to give them run and you got to give them you know some some game time to see what they can give you and you can't do that with the the guards you sort of have minutes wise so it's either benching them and not playing them and playing the young guys or trading them and then you can say hey we're going to go with this youth movement and see what happens but what's interesting is griffin also said um he could kind of envision ingram being the two which is strange to me but it makes sense, you know. So you would be what Kyra and Nall going out there. I'll go to the three. Do they look for a stretch three? I, I think there's so many things that you can still build and look at. You just right now, yeah. three. Let's just say three or two. I, I like Adams, Ingram, and Zion. Everything else we got to figure out. Yeah, and, and but how do you figure out a Nikhil, a Jackson Hayes? Yeah. Um, right. You got to Akira. You got to play him. You know Eric Bledsoe. I never felt like he not. You know he's actually leading the team in three point percentage, shooting over forty percent. That might surprise folks, but I never felt like he was a right fit. I don't. I don't think he's long term on the team. Um, don't think Lonzo is. I think Josh Hart could have a role long term off the bench. Um, Reddick's thirty seven, and you know probably be traded to a contender. But like you said, I mean Zion and Bi uh, Adams is there another three years. On the current contract, Nikhil, Kira, sorry, Kyra. I just see, I read it as Kira. I know it's pronounced differently, but um, you got to give those guys some cuts, give them some reps, and yet you're trying to win at the same time. And you have a you have a bigger national spotlight than normal because of Zion Williamson. And with that's going to come uh, some hyperbole when he does something good, some hyperbole when the team loses. Uh, and I usually am able to remain objective or keep it together, and I and I think I'm pretty good at it in terms of analyzing this team. But last Saturday night, I just I was I was just sick. I was just sick with that effort. And the last thing I'll say is this: Andrew pointed something out, Gus, and it's something I I plan on talking about next week. I usually Super Bowl week, I interview a number of former players that won Super Bowls in the NFL, and just want to ask them like, if you're playing this year in the league. The year of COVID, we think about all of the weird things that come along with it, right? I mean, um, Bob Marlin, Raging Cajun head basketball coach. He can't. He's not with the team right now. They're in San Marcos. They play today. They play tomorrow against Texas State. Texas State's a game and a half up in the Sun Belt on them. They win both games. Suddenly, they're atop the West. Maybe the Sun. I mean, it's a big series, is my point. And yet, the head coach in there because he's dealing with COVID. We think about that. Like Adam Schefter tweeted a little while ago. The Bucks and Chiefs are now in the critical phase of COVID precautions. So any player or coach with a positive test beginning today is going to be ruled out of the Super Bowl. They say same protocols as regular season, even with, even if a key player tests positive. And, yeah, we'll see what happens if it's Mahomes or Brady. I don't think it'll happen, but, hey, my point is, I think when it comes to COVID, Gus, we think a lot about availability. The other thing that I I, I – it's not that I hadn't thought about we it. Do. We do. We think a lot about availability, and we think about, um, you know, if players can, can be there, coaches can be there. Look, at, you know, obviously when you saw a situation of, um, you know, coaches 
you know, in the playoffs, or was it with, with the Browns trying to win a big yeah. game to do that? And, but but let me the point the point I was I was going to get to though that I hadn't given enough. I guess I probably admittedly didn't give enough credence to, and I should. And Andrew Lopez pointed it out to me. You know, he said this is not an excuse for the effort the Pelicans had in Minnesota. I mean, they lost to Minnesota's G League team, and it was because they just didn't go out and give much of an effort. And that's 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 an excuse. But he's like, it's not just the last day of a 13-game road trip. You think about this year in the NBA. With COVID regulations, guys cannot go out. Guys cannot essentially hang out. Like Steven Adams... He's an OKC his whole career. Now he's in New Orleans, and, and folks are like, man, you like the city? He's like, I probably would, mate, but I, I can't go anywhere. I'm just isolated. I've got these new teammates. I get to hang with them at practice. Don't see him too much outside of that. When you're on a two-week road trip like the Pelicans were, as Andrew was pointing out, when they're at the team hotel, they're not even by rule allowed yeah. to hang out with their teammates yeah. in their hotel rooms. Like They can't even get yeah. together well, and play cards. They're just sitting in the room by themselves. So, like, if you're Mm -hmm. isolated for two weeks and the only time you can interact is at work, literally, and no other time, by rule, are you allowed to interact with anyone? Like, like person to person, you can interact, you know, digitally, sure. That's... That just can lead to, like, depression. You know what I mean? You're a young guy. You want to interact. You want Like, in terms of team camaraderie, in terms of gelling, in terms of new teams, new guys trying to get used to each other, hang out away from work, that just hadn't been the case this year. And I think when it comes to young teams in sports that are trying to gel, get to know one another, and just become close and, and, and avoid loneliness, it's probably an aspect that I hadn't given enough credence to that undoubtedly is going to have an impact on on any team in any sport that's dealing with those conditions. And I'm glad you kind of circled back to this, Scott, because there was something I was going to bring up at the very beginning. Um, when you asked me about the Pels, if you remember, I, I said the Lakers lost to Detroit yesterday. The Lakers are a really good team. Um they had gone into that road trip when they played Philly, not having lost a road game. Now they've lost two straight. Um, now I know it was a back-to-back, but what have you seen? Um, I literally yesterday spoke about this aspect of it. Have you looked at the standings? Have you seen the heat? Explain that to me. Miami was in the finals. That is a good team. What, they got six, seven wins? Um, they're not even in the playoffs. Right now, if you went by the season ending today, which again I keep they're, 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 they're sick. They have a, they have a worse games. they have a worse record than the Pelicans right now. The Heat do right, and that's what I keep telling people. I'm like, it's been 16 games. Everybody breathe. Um, you know, and I know it's a shortened season by 10, but they've only played 16. I mean, it. it but Scott, I get it because what did we do when the Saints started out the way they did, right? <laughs> After the Green Bay loss, we, we were all like, oh, no. And they wound up, you know, winning the division and, and winning 12 games. So, but that's the point is let, let, let the season play out. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't do apparent and, and obvious things. And, look, I'm with you. Um, I guess it's hard for us to understand, hey, how do you not have the energy and all of that? Look, I, I will tell you just from traveling with Tulane this year, it's a lot different than last year. The restrictions are different. And, you know, not that I was, believe me, NBA level looking to go out and hit the top restaurants like everyone else did. 
Um, that, but you know, you you can't go and, and do those things. Like you could say you could go to different places to eat and effort like that, but at the same time, you um, you know have to adjust to certain things. And I think one of the things that that I guess players have to deal with is that um, it is a long season. It is grueling. Like you said, this isn't them going to the club or anything like that. It's you literally can't go to somebody's room and just hang out. And, and that's crazy because that's kind of what I do. And it would be weird to not be able to speak to anybody. And I don't know if that, how that weighs on you psychologically, how that affects your jump shot or things of that nature. But I think the one thing more than anything that's probably not being talked about as much is the fact that you do see um, the fact that this team plays every, you know, not this team, the NBA, you play almost every other night. I mean, very rarely you're, you're, you're getting two, three days off um, in that. So how, how you handle that, how you adjust it, how you get ready for that, who does have that energy, which is probably why what Bradley Beal has been doing has been pretty remarkable when you look at that, that way of doing that. So, I think that's the thing that stands out to me. I mean, it was the first thing Daniel said um, that it, it stood out to me is that, hey, you're, you're going to be playing every other day. So how do you play every other day and, and handle that, not only energy-wise, but also how, you know, just your game kind of handles it. So that's the thing that really stands out to me. Great stuff. Gus Catengale has been our guest. As always, man, we appreciate the time. You can follow him on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17, at G-K-A-T-T underscore 17. Always enjoy the thorough conversations, breaking it down. And uh, next week we'll hit a little bit on the Super Bowl. Senior Bowl will be in the uh, rear view and a number of other things. And uh, maybe the Pels can have a couple of wins between now and then. Let's hope. In the meantime, man, appreciate the time. All the best. Enjoy the weekend and uh, give your – Give your wife and son a, a hello from, uh, as, as Carver likes to call me, Mr. Stinky. Mr. Stinky. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take care, man. All right, thanks. Great stuff from our friend Gus Cat and Gil.